Well, welcome to the Situation Report for October 11th, 2023. It's Lieutenant Colonel Murray. And uh, as I promised on Monday, I just added Trooper to the live feed this time instead of letting him go into the chat and then asking him to join and going through all that. We just I just added him to it so that we could have a meaningful discussion with everything going on in his threat, threat analysis background. I think it's worthy to have a conversation, especially right now, considering the rhetoric that is coming out across all the media right now. I've never seen anything like it. In fact, I've never seen anything more reckless in my life especially in the last um, four days on any spectrum of information that I've ever worked with. The, the rhetoric coming out of churches and mosques right now is genocide. And that's not something typically in the information space that we even talk about. You don't even, you don't even go down those roads. We used to have a, a concept of measured response for everything across the planet. And the military, especially in the planning cells, we would spend a great amount of time think, going through what words we would use to describe situations, describe actions, and describe intent. And we did that so that there was no confusion on the other end. And the homework is go look at the conversation just before the Gulf War in 1991 and how um, Norman Schwarzkopf, Colin Powell, talk about what we're going to do to the Iraqi army. The Iraqi army, not civilians, not women and children, not, not a specific area. And why this is a salient point is you, you always craft your messages. You always craft your narrative around the desired end state you want. And it's clearly the desired end state in the Israeli situation right now is they want to annihilate the Palestinian people. All that's going to do is galvanize the entire Arab population against them. And it will create terror attacks across the planet. And I'll let Troop talk more about that aspect of it. But the, the, the bigger picture that we're trying to weave here is, this is gonna go global very, very quickly. And get away from US troops and the US posturing and all the nonsense around that. I don't buy for one second that Mossad, the Israeli government, or the Israeli, the Israeli military did not have a clue this was gonna happen. Did not have any warnings and indications that there was troops on the ground. I don't buy that for one second because the West Bank, Gaza are both minimum security prisons. Actually, you could call them maximum security prisons because you don't move a grain of rice in and out of that place without them knowing about it. And I don't care if the, the narrative that they're weaving is we were, we were consumed by what was going on in Iraq or in Ukraine. We were consumed by what was going on in Syria. We weren't paying attention to what was happening here locally. That is absolute nonsense. Because if you look at the West Bank and what they do in the West Bank, they literally shoot people for sport with rubber bullets. And they have done it for decades. And look, don't get me wrong. 
I'm not pro-Palestinian. I'm not pro-Israeli. I'm anti-war. Because this, this could have been avoided on about 15 different levels, starting with the rhetoric, working all the way down. And that's just in the information space. That's not in the kinetic or the, or the physical space. Just the information space. And we precipitated this by sending aid to Iran, opening up and moving forces out of Syria and allowing them a pathway from Persia to Israel. That's how this happened. And we are just as much and just as complicit as any other country on the planet because we're the ones that give them 10 billion plus a year in military aid alone. And if you go back to some of the, the funding packages that occurred since 2020, you will see that we had money allocated for building border walls and defenses for Israel. And a lot of our legislation that was passed from 2020 until 2022 when Pelosi left. So we are just as complicit in this situation as any other NATO country or any other Western European country. And when you take a step back from that and you realize that if they knew all of this information, they had warnings and indications and they sat on it, they're just as complicit as any terrorist organization. But the worst part in all of it is just since Sunday, the rhetoric has been, we need to kill every man, woman, and child as a Palestinian in the West Bank for this. They created their own 9-11. They watched it occur. They'd allowed, they've allowed 1,600 civilians to die so far. And now they're claiming that they need to go level Gaza. What do you think that's going to do from an information perspective? And then today, the fa my favorite was Biden today saying that there's been beheadings. But they don't, they don't have any proof of it because it's too heinous for anybody to see. This is the lie that they keep propagating. And all this is is escalation. There's no measured response. There's no narrative that says we're looking into it. We have credible sources. Here's the credible source. None of that. No other news agency is talking about any beheadings. They're only showing these same pictures of of people being murdered, women and children being murdered. And look, let's be very clear. Both sides of the fence are conducting massive propaganda campaigns. You have the, the Arabs on one side that are using Al Jazeera and a number of other media outlets, AP, et cetera, to do their bidding. And then you have the Jewish side that's doing and the, the Israeli side that's using American media and Western media to do their bidding. I don't believe anything from either side. I don't believe that Hamas, Hezbollah, or any of the rest that were making that have made these marriages of convenience, I don't believe that they thought that this was completely unnoticed either. So when you when you look at it from that perspective and take a step back, the next piece of it is our strategic movement into the region. We've already moved one carrier battle group in, into the region. And, and I said in the last sit rep that if they get balled up and destroyed in the Strait of Hormuz, every, every Navy, Navy admiral that was a part of that planning process should be tried for treason. Because we've planned for that contingency for decades. This is what the Navy is supposed to do. 
and they don't put themselves or a, a priority A asset like that, a carrier battle group, into an area where they're susceptible to any kind of surprise attack, which is probably going to be on the horizon. Well, you could see the escalation occurring day to day, the rhetoric getting more and more inflammatory day to day. But the the part that gets under my skin, and look, why I'm I'm talking about this from a somewhat emotionally charged perspective is to give you a flavor for just how compromised you can be when you're emotionally compromised by an event, by a situation, or by rhetoric. And I want you to imagine the entire Middle East highly energized right now because of what they're seeing in the news. That leads to escalation. And we have worked very, very hard for decades to not use inflammatory language for escalation just for that purpose. But this goes back to what I said on 925 and the following two sit reps. If you're emotionally charged during any part of this process, they got you. You're in the narrative, they got you. Look at all the Christian leaders right now that are calling for destruction of God. These are Christian leaders. These are ministers, pastors, Catholic priests calling for the destruction of Gaza. When in your lifetime have you ever heard that rhetoric anywhere in this country? That's how the emotionally charged argument sucks you in. They show you these highly inflammatory images, these highly inflammatory sound bites, and then they got you. And look at how many people went from, yay, Ukraine, yay, oppression, to destroy Gaza, yay, Israel. No critical thinking. This is exactly what they did to us on 9-11. Exactly. And what did we do after 9-11? We villainized every Arab or Muslim across the planet. And it was by design. So if you hear me say anything today, don't get sucked into the narrative. Don't get sucked into the emotion. It's all distraction and lies on both sides. Unless there's two or three corroborating either stories or videos from different sources, assume it's fiction. Assume it's staged. And don't get wrapped up in it. You know, PB, um, one of my one of my admins posted something that I thought was very salient. Stop worrying about things that are beyond your control and worry about what's going on here. And that's exactly what I think people should be doing right now. This this entire Israel conflict is the start of World War III, and it's going to lead to a broader escalation with Iran, a broader escalation with the Gulf. And because there is zero conversation about ceasing hostilities, it's only an escalation in rhetoric. That doesn't that doesn't bode well for long term. Sorry, troop. I wanted to get that out of my system before we before we started down the road. You you posted a video this morning that I think is very salient to this conversation, and it was around the credible threat threat that credible threat for Friday the 13th. You want to talk through that? Yeah, I do. And Steve, I appreciate you getting all that 
emotion out ahead of this because I, I put out a pretty powerful missive this morning and now there's a meme that Teddy put out with lasers coming out of my eyes. Um, so it's like, quote, uh, put it, put a quote with the meme and it's exactly what you're saying. So as a, a commander of military forces, you do have to motivate your troops. They have to be of a high, uh, what would you call it? Esprit de corps, right? And, um, and sometimes you, you experience a demoralizing event. So you got to get the troops back on track and you have to energize them somehow and motivate them. Regardless of how you do that, they need to have that energy when they go into battle or they go into service. And the most dangerous thing, the thing that pisses me off beyond words is the lack of measured words from their commanders and from Netanyahu. And I said this earlier, and you know what? We're we're in a, a point now where it's like, if you don't stand with Israel, you get canceled. And you know what? Fuck you motherfuckers, because this is not about Israel. Our obligation to Israel is to establish a military presence there so that we can continue to project power in that region of the world to assure the stability of the region and to defend U.S. interests. That's our relationship with Israel. Whether you have a religious connection to them or a familial connection or a political connection as an American, the only connection that we have to Israel or why we deal with fucking retards like Egypt or Jordan or Turkey is because we need to maintain a presence and a control factor in that region, which we would not be able to do effectively unless we tried to cultivate these relationships. And that explains why a lot of money goes over to that side of the world. Now, neither here nor there, from the emotionally indifferent perspective of a soldier, you, your, your, your operational focus in any mission is that you have to have a task, you have to have an intent. And so when soldiers get orders from their commanders, and they communicate this to the public, especially when it's a sensitive operation that's going to potentially include the loss of civilian life. The commanders use measured words of task and intent. What is the purpose of what we're about to do? What is the target and location? Whose asses are we going to kick and where? And then what is the outcome or the goal? To take away the enemy's willingness or ability to fight, to destroy their resources so that they cannot continue to fight, to uh, secure or capture a key location so that they're motivated to negotiate. So every step along the way, commanders are responsible and politicians that lead armies or you know, com uh, the direct commanders to lead armies are responsible for assuring that everybody knows that their top goal is the minimization of collateral damage. And there's, there's one it. more piece to that troop. That's the rules of engagement because commander doesn't just talk in measured words. As a battalion commander, I would go over the rules of engagement with everybody that was going forward. Everyone, don't Absolutely. destroy civilian that, property. No, no, no. You know, unnecessary damage to civilian structure structures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Israel this week abandoned the rules of engagement. Let me say it again: Israel abandoned the rules of engagement. That is a recipe for war crimes on a grand scale. Because when soldiers have no left and right boundaries of what they can and can't do in combat, they do everything. Sorry, that's that's not exactly the, you know, my point is we, we stopped carpet bombing and leveling towns a long time ago. 
because you don't really win over the you know the hearts and minds of of the the enemy population when you when you level their towns and this is exactly the the firestorm that we're in now so we have Netanyahu is going to invade Gaza. So all the troops are getting lined up. They're pissed off because everything that just happened, and understandably so. And make no mistake, if there is a terrorist or anybody that's in your country or in your town or in your neighborhood or in your business or attacking your home, you fucking terminate them with extreme prejudice without hesitation. Nobody's arguing about that. But you don't you know, like we're being invaded right now by a hundred different countries on our southern border. You don't solve that by blowing up Mexico City. And that's exactly what the logic here is. So now we have a, a lot of highly emotionally charged troops that are being rallied because their commanders have just pumped them full of vitriol and they're pissed and they have a right to be pissed. And they're entering into the city streets of a civilian populated area with no expectation of, of minimizing collateral damage. And this is exactly what Colonel Murray just said they are they're fucking pissed. They're loaded for bear. They're Netanyahu just said, literally, we want to cleanse the Palestinians in totality. And I'm sorry, but you lose your victimhood status as soon as you call for the eradication of another fucking civilization. And that's exactly what has happened. And that's exactly what the response was from whoever the shitbag is that was one of the founders of Hamas on Friday the 13th and said, oh yeah, well, I, I call upon every Muslim to go and, and kill, a, kill some Jews on, on Friday. This isn't just a bunch of saber rattling. This is literally the beginning of a holy war because there was not measured words. There was not any control or discipline to how this response came about. And certainly not from the news because they no. thrive on this. Well, the news is controlled by the CIA, so let's just call it spade a spade. They're controlled by the big oligarchs in the CIA, and all of them want a war. Why do they want a war? They want a war because they know the economy is going to crash across the world, and they need a scapegoat. If they have a world war, they can write off all their debt. Don't fall for any of that. Don't Just like, don't fall for this rhetoric that Israel's the innocent victim here. That's That's nonsense. It takes two to tango. And that may sound like a cliche, but it's really true. You know, one of the most probably, um, I want to say that one of, one of the most um, impactful conversations I ever had with an Iraqi was with the uh, a Kurdish guy. He was a he was a Kurdish Peshmerga, which is their military. He was a colonel, and he and I just you just you know he just saved my life, for lack of a better word. And we were talking. And I said, why do you guys continue to fight? We have screwed you over two or three times already because we don't, we don't care about that. We care about our families. We care about our, our, our way of life and we don't care about the rest and we don't get wrapped up in holy wars. We don't get wrapped up in religious dogma. We get, we get wrapped around the axle around taking care of the people in our community and other Kurds and it, the what struck me was he went on to say that when the Arab community gets highly charged, they lose all sense of reason. They lose all sense of focus. They lose all sense of humanity. And the Kurds try very, very hard. Again, these are his words. They try very hard to maintain their, their humanity in every circumstance. And he said, after after thousands of us were killed by Saddam, via the gas attacks 
we could have gone on a on a tirade and destroyed the rest of of Baghdad without any problem. We had all the weapons in the north. We had the army to do it. We decided that it was better for us to to lay back low and and regain our strength. And I don't know how true any of this is, but I can tell you that listening to this guy talk where he had, I guess the word is empathy and compassion. That was the most powerful thing that I think he could say. And that's why I say our most powerful tool in our toolkit is empathy. When we lose empathy, we lose the fight. And the one thing we had in World War II, in World War I, was empathy. What you're seeing today is a lack of empathy for both the enemy as well as the, um, the victims. And that is where I think this is going to go off the rails. Anytime you lose empathy, especially leaders lose empathy, then you lose control of the fight. And why this is going to be important is in about two days, we're going to start seeing attacks around the world against Jews. And then there's going to be a bigger call for a wider war. If you see, and that it's going to be here, folks, it's going to be on our shores. It's going to be in your sleepy town. Think about all those, all those different foreign nationals, young males that have come to town. Think about how many of them and ask your question, how many of those 15 million military age males that we've imported in the last two years, how many of them are Muslims? How many of them come from Muslim countries? I could tell you that there's probably a lot. And no matter what you say, they watch the news just like we do. And they're going to be just as enraged as anybody that's on the ground in Israel. And the thing to remember is that we, we cannot villainize one group or another. All we can do is react to the events that we see on the ground. And the thing that, that we need to do here in the States is keep our head on a swivel and focus on what's in front of us and not get wrapped up in the narrative or the emotions of that whole conflict. Because it's going to come here. And it's going to come here because when you don't measure the response and you let things escalate out of control, they do. Sorry, Troop, I cut you off. Oh, no, you're up, you're spot on. And and as far as this violence goes, you have to be responsible. And earlier today, I said, you know, when, when you have people that are that are fighting in a war, generally professional soldiers, they're always taught, never pull your trigger in anger. You pull your trigger in fear. Sometimes you make a bad call and you pull your trigger at the wrong time or maybe even on the wrong thing, heaven forbid, but never pull your trigger in anger. When you spin up a bunch of troops that are pulling their triggers in anger, you have you have a lot of collateral damage because that, that, is, that is a military operation that's, that's driven by hate and not driven by a disciplined focus on a defined objective. So Friday is going to come. Earlier today, I said, you know what? If you're Jewish, if you go to a synagogue, uh, if your if your family uh, has children that that attend uh, Jewish schools or anything like that, don't be afraid to live your life. Do not let this terrorist threat control you or change your behavior because that is what the intent of terrorism is. But be ready. And I even said you can call your goyim buddy trooper over here and our redneck kind, and we'll be happy to protect your synagogues. We'll be happy to walk your kids to school. 
we'll be happy to stand between you and anybody that would fuck with you because from our perspective, we're all Americans. And that's our, our, our primary and our only concern is that we have built this country around the, the dream of liberty, right? The vision that everybody can, can believe however they want and everybody can do whatever they want as long as whatever they're doing doesn't infringe upon the rights of the person standing next to them. And that means that we don't like it when, when one group of people go and they do mean shit and they go fuck with another group of people. So we're not going to tolerate that. Now, the reality is that among those 15 million people that have penetrated into our country over the last two or three years, there are a lot of them that are fundamentalist. And fundamentalist, what I mean by that is kind of like define a Christian, uh, define a Jew, define a Muslim. There's a lots of different ways that that you could you could attack that or you could support that or you could divide that up into little boxes. But I want to focus just basically on the ideology of an individual who grew up in a chaotic environment where there was lots of violence and there was some greater evil that was constantly blamed for that violence. And now all of a sudden you're in a situation where globally a call has been put out where you can do something about it and you can just become part of the swarm. And you can minimize your likelihood of, of detection, arrest, or, or, or being neutralized. And now it's time to get even. And so you have somebody with, a, with a, a huge voice, with a degree of credibility, that's telling you it's okay to do this on a certain day. Now, people join gangs. People join the army. People join churches. People join organizations because they have a sense of belonging and because they have a common belief system and a common goal, whether that's good or bad. And in this case, what we have is a lot of people that have come across the border from war-torn countries, which for whatever debate you want to make, we're a lot of them getting the shit blown out of them with U.S. ordinance. <laughs> and they're here in America now and they're here in Europe now and they're pissed and they're going to go fuck shit up. So you, you can you can say that that's, um, you know, maybe maybe a, a too broad of a characterization of what's going on. I don't think it is. I'm not even judging the people that are involved in that. They're driven by hate and anger and a lack of focus and motivation. But the key point is that they have lost their humanity and they've lost their compassion for others. Or maybe they never had it, or maybe they were never taught it. But now they've been given the green light to go destroy things that they, their entire lives have been trained to hate. And as soon as this happens, and as soon as we have these terrorist activities, on Friday, which again, I believe are highly, highly likely, highly probable. What do you think is going to happen then? Because there's already a lot of angst with immigration. And let's be honest, a lot of the people that we've seen in Germany and France and Italy and in the United States did not come here to integrate with the population and become productive Americans and live the American dream. They came here with their handout. They came here against the American dream. So for those of you who have invaded our border under, you know, better, better intent, you know, that's a different discussion. But for the, for all of the people that Steve and I have seen with our trained eye that have been coming in in locked columns of groups and squads with a specific intent, a specific motivation and a specific drive in their step. Those are the guys that we're worried about, because without compunction and without hesitation, when they're given an opportunity to execute violence, they will do it just like that. And then it's too late. So Friday is coming. And this Friday, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to have my full trauma kit and my other kit in my Jeep. Yep. And me too. 
uh, and here's here's the other thing you know i said strap up guys you know if, if you're in these jewish synagogues or these jewish places this also includes christians and this also includes anywhere where other other soft targets and civilians are especially in gun-free zones but what's equally important to your readiness and ability to defend these locations or immediately respond and neutralize whatever these threats may be is your ability to immediately respond and mitigate any of the damage that they cause and that means first aid so don't just throw your rifle in your truck and heaven forbid you get in a firefight in the middle of the city where you got bullets going down range and then hitting unintended targets that's my worst nightmare by the way but I, I just I, I think I want to concatenate it down to just be prepared for something to occur in the next 30 days as this escalates, because we don't know what's going to happen. And and Alpha, to your point, you're right. The vitriol is is focused on the wrong people as they move into Gaza, because I want to remind everybody of something. It's a it's a maximum security prison for the Palestinians. There's people with no resources that cannot leave. They cannot leave the city. And they go through this every 10 years with the Israelis, where there's some kind of exchange between Hamas or Hezbollah, and then they have an incursion by the uh, Israeli army. I'm assuming there are probably a lot of them that stayed after the initial call to leave, probably didn't think that there was going to be a bigger escalation of this. And those people don't have the resources to go anywhere anyway. So you're seeing... The, the worst of all the scenarios culminate at the same place in the same space for no other reason than Netanyahu has wanted to destroy Gaza and the West Bank since he came into office years ago. And this is, this is only going to escalate. And we're just saying from our perspective that we're anticipating that to be here. And the other side of that, that, I know people are going to talk through, which is is worth mentioning, is that there's a there's a conversation about planned events, unplanned events by the elite, and bringing these troops in, bringing these military age males in to serve as UN UN peacekeepers in uniform, et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking about there's a there's a whole host of not only Muslims, but there's a there's a number of nationalities that are Muslim that are all in this country right now that are watching this on TV and we're anticipating, uh, I'm speaking for myself now, Troop, you can, dis you can disagree with me if, if you want, but the way I see this developing is you're gonna see some of those troops go off the deep end as they see other Muslims being killed. And despite the elite's best efforts, and again, this is the unintended consequences I've been talking about for weeks and weeks, Despite the elite's best efforts to control these these people, you don't put 15,000 foot soldiers or 15 million foot soldiers on the ground with nothing to do. That never works out well. Just like we don't put soldiers on a, on a range to teach them how to shoot without a lot of adult supervision because they do stupid things if you don't do that. And what I'm outlining here is I think the law of unintended consequences are about to hit the elite in the face. When these guys go go local and go off the deep end and jump off the reservation because of attacks against Muslims in Gaza and probably in the West Bank, I, I fully anticipate people going off the reservation because of that. And when they do, I, I, I know the Americans are going to respond because the other side of the fence is you have this seething undercurrent of anger across the country. And just today, 
literally just today, I, I've, I've probably had five or six new lieutenant colonels and colonels reach out to me today because of the 10-5 sit rep and the 925 sit rep. And people know it's coming. They know it now. They see it on the horizon. And as this escalates, you're going to see people jump off the reservation. That's that's what Troop and I are circling around. And if you hear us say anything else today, be prepared now moving forward and be ready for any contingency the best you can be. Walking around in full kit and, and weapons, useless, absolutely useless, just makes you a target. And besides, you don't know where they're going to strike or what they're going to do but you should be able, ready to respond. And I know, and let me get this shit out of the way. For all of you who think that I should be out there calling for armed, you know, resurrection or uh, armed escalation. Jeez, I cannot speak today. Who are you going to fight? Do you know who the enemy is? Today, I was literally 20 minutes from my house. It's probably one of the most affluent areas in all of Arizona. And walking across the street in front of me, is seven Chinese guys, clearly not from here, all dressed almost identical. And I could have chose to say, hey, what are you doing here? Or just observe, orient, and be ready. And the, the reality is you don't know who the enemy is. So get that shit out of your head right now because you don't know who's who and who's doing what. And this nonsense around we're going to go nip this in the bud before it even starts you can't the die's already been cast we're already past the culmination point they have enough forces here to do whatever they want to do initially the only thing we can do is put our egos aside band together and mount a defense that's the best we can hope for right now because trust me troop and i have been doing this shit for three years and I can tell you that one of the most frustrating aspects of this conversation is that every time we have this conversation with people, everybody's got the, the answer for how to do this. Nobody wants to stop and listen and figure out how to coordinate and work together. They're solving the problem before we even figure out how to work together. And simple things like, hey, what radio frequency are you guys going to be on if we lose comms? We can't even have that discussion because everybody wants to solve the problem. So here's the colonel saying to all you soldiers out there, start working with your buddies and figure out where the hell everybody is on the line so you don't kill one of your buddies when they go to take a piss in the middle of the night. E.g., get your shit together. Rub some ointment all over your sore body and get ready to move out because the fight's coming. Sorry, Troop. You I know, it's 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 a shame when somehow the left can get over 50 unfuckable naked hags to scream anti-American, child-sacrificing vitriol in the street, and we can't even get five people to show up to a school board meeting. So get out from behind your fucking keyboard and do something outside of the house get to know your neighbors go to a school board meeting become a precinct committeeman do something but you know the the violence thing 
violence is easy. What's not easy is having compassion when you're in an, a violent environment. And what's going to happen with this is exactly what these people want to happen. And I want everybody to listen carefully. The only voice you hear is mine. If these terrorists attack whatever, and they're terrorists. I mean, terrorists are known for killing, beheading, raping, torturing. That's what terrorists do. So for there could be news reports of some terrorist did some horrible thing. Well, surprise. What, I, what I'm more worried about is the response to that. And the response to that is now we have, we have global hate, right? And if you remember after 9-11, there was uh, some, excuse me, my dogs are trying to kill each other. There was some uh, some Sikhs. Is it the Sikhs that have the the daggers in their in their belt? There was a couple of Sikhs that were murdered because some some redneck got unhinged during nine uh, nine eleven, and he decided he was going to go settle the score and kill some Muslims, and he murdered a couple of random people who were American citizens who loved America, who had you know had nothing to do with the terrorist attacks. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go kill me some Muslims, right? And now I mean, we, let's not go there. Okay, I'm going to share a little story with everybody. So I was in the in the first Iraq war, the first camping trip, and I was the cavalry troop. And one of the things that the scouts do when they go forward is if anybody surrenders, then, you know, they have what, what is it, uh, uh, Steve? It's search, silence, secures, uh, speed to the rear, segregate. So Close when enough. you have enemy prisoners of war, they, they're, they're not innocent. They shoot at you until they realize there's an entire fucking cavalry regiment about ready to turn them into human gelatin. And then they're like, oh, fuck this. And then they surrender. And so what you do is you cluster them up into a big group and you dismount. And for me, it was my driver, Brebner, who I qualified on the gun range because he, he was from Flatbush, New York. He could not hit the side of a barn. So I would sit next to Brebner on the lanes and I would qualify for him. And he'd just throw me magazines and I'd shoot his target. He'd shoot mine. We both qualified expert. Well, now this motherfucker's waving an M16 over my head and I'm unarmed in the fucking cluster of EPWs trying to process them. And I'm trying the best I can in the five words of, you know, Iraqi they taught us to say, please don't do anything fucking stupid because this son of a bitch will shoot both of us. And, the, and so you're going through these groups of enemy soldiers, which... Your entire life growing up with John Wayne and Audie Murphy and Clint Eastwood and watching World War II movies and everything else, you think that these are the Nazis or the disciplined Japanese zero pilots or the Viet Cong, right, and the Republican Guard now, and now you're in the middle of it and you're finding a bunch of absolutely fucking petrified, poorly trained, poorly equipped, emaciated, filthy, wounded soldiers who are nothing more than conscripts. And as you're going through and searching them, you're finding shit that we had in our pockets, random shit you pick up off the range, pictures of a family member, some fucking letters that they wrote that would never get mailed because they weren't getting supported. We bombed the shit out of these fucking people that were dropped off into a desert for six months, and then we showed up to fucking kill them all. I'm not surprised that they surrendered. That shit fucking stays with you. And here's the thing. Do you think that there was any hate in my heart? When we put those fuckers on the back of a deuce and a half and we sent them off to S2, I thought, man, they're going to get clean. They're going to get a shower. They're going to get food. They're going to get medical care. And then they're going to get to go back home someday after the war. I had no idea that these fuckers would be going to a place like fucking Abu Dhabi or Abu Ghraib or whatever, you know, some torture fucking hotel prison ran by a bunch of fucking hateful shitbags. You have to have compassion for your fellow man.
And even when it is you're in your darkest hour, which is right now, because I'm serious, guys, we're about ready to go into a fucking global holy war. I don't know if I would call it World War Three yet. But you have to maintain compassion because these guys are going to strike. They're going to uh, be followed by a huge media campaign that is designed to drive more hate and more division. We need to stop. If you see somebody killing school children, by all means, fucking neutralize them. But don't go and you know find some more Muslims to, to level the score. And that's what I'm worried about when they go into Gaza is exactly what Colonel Murray said. These soldiers are going to be unhinged. They're fucking pissed off. And they're like, well, you raped our women, so we're going to rape yours. And now you have a total breakdown of discipline. You're dehumanizing the enemy at that point. And that, that you cannot have a cessation of conflict when you go from a political war or a military action that has defined objectives and outcomes to a literal fucking holy war. Those wars don't end. So slow down. Take a deep breath. Be prepared for contact. Be prepared to deal with the medical consequences of any of these situations, as well as the physical uh, threats. But do not lose your heart and do not lose your compassion through this, regardless of what happens. And that, I think, yeah. is the, the the number one flag that I got to fly out here. Well, our, our, like I said, the number one tool in our toolkit is empathy. When we lose that, we lose the war. Because the, the one thing that everyone comes to this country for is the opportunity here and the fact that americans do have empathy and opportunity for people from all over the world and this is it folks we're it we're the backstop for the planet we're it remember that if we lose our our humanity so does the rest of the planet we're the light for the entire planet. I didn't pick that role. You didn't pick that role. But we are. And these shitbags, the Eurofags that are they're precipitating all of this with the coordination of the Chinese, they don't care if we lose all social order across the planet. They don't care about that. They don't care how many people get smoked along the way. We have to care. And that's the that's where the rubber meets the road. Is if we can reach across the aisle in times of extreme adversity, then we build coalitions. Once we build coalitions, we build armies. And then we go and we hunt down the people that precipitated this. Because I guarantee you that all of this is well-coordinated, well-war-game, well and well-planned. Because the information war right now is all about we are going to destroy and deconstruct Gaza. That is a much different message than we're going to find out who did this and hold them accountable. It's a much different message. And that's why we're putting this warning out, because as we both see it, we see this escalating and hitting every country on this planet. This will go kinetic soon. And this is the warning and we've, we've also said, and you can agree or disagree with me on this one, True. We've also said several times that we will have some advanced warning before this thing goes kinetic. This is it, folks. And isn't it funny how literally four days ago, Ukraine was on the map and now crickets. 
Anybody heard anything about Ukraine this week? I mean, other than the Keebler elf trying to remind everybody that he's still four foot <laughs> one and important. Nobody's hearing anything about it. But I want to weave a little bit of the bigger picture of this and get away from the human element of this for a second, because there's a bigger picture that I want people to keep in mind. So the strategic aspect of this that people aren't considering is we're pulling forces away from the U.S. that could be used here to defend our borders and defend our shores. At the same time, we're pulling forces out of the Pacific and we're allowing China free reign of East China Sea and South China Sea. And that is that is significantly um, threatening to not just our national security, but our supply lines across the Pacific. I've talked about sea lines of communication several times throughout the last two years. And it worth, it's worth mentioning again, the, the sea lines of communication are our lifeblood for both goods and services, but logistically, that's how we, that's how our commerce happens. If you disrupt the flow of commerce, you disrupt not just economics, you disrupt logistics in this country. Because I don't know if folks know how goods and services are moved here, but we used to use the Panama Canal a lot to move goods and services. Now we bring things in from the east to the west coast. Then we we take them off ships, we put them on trains, and we move into the to the east coast from the west coast, and then we ship them to all parts in Europe. So our logistics train literally takes us from ship to train to ship in some cases. In all of those in all of those situations, if you disrupt one part of the chain, you disrupt that entire ecosystem. So these attacks against trains that have been going on for the past 12 months, all of that's funneling towards a culmination point where logistics is going to break down in the near future. We've run the strategic oil supply out completely. And now we're going to be a net importer of oil again, which means we're going to see gas prices spike and you're going to see people not able to afford to be able to go to work because it's too expensive to drive their car to work and will cost them more money than they make. So you're going to see people push to either public transportation or ride sharing, a bunch of other things. And why this is all important is if they take away your ability to eat, to move, conduct commerce and logistically sustain yourself, guess what? They've got you in the kill box they want and they've, they've carefully architected this. So the bigger picture here is way more important than anything that's going on on the ground over there. Take your mind out of the news cycle, take your mind out of the social media cycle and focus on what's in front of you and around you. The stuff that that matters right now is the people in your neighborhood. Do you know who should be there and who shouldn't be there? I have the luxury of living in a gated community. So I know everybody here, but not everybody does. There's people that live in communities that are somewhat violent a block away. You should know everybody around you. When you get off the computer tonight, go down the street and introduce yourself to people that you've you've seen a hundred times, but you've never talked to. Get away from the keyboard and go start meeting people. Now is the time. Because when this kicks off, you don't want to be in a fox or going, hi, I'm Bob. 
You need to start doing things now. Doing. Sorry, Troop. I had to go down that rabbit hole. Well, I want to. I want to kind of talk a little bit. Of, a little bit of threat, if that's okay. A little bit of tactics, because you're talking about uh, U.S. surface fleet. So the the hot spot of the day is basically Jerusalem. And for those of you who are uh, geology, what is it? Geography, uh, geography nuts. Jerusalem is in the. What is it the Western Mediterranean Sea? Is that kind of where they're at? And the other part of the world that's kind of in trouble right now is uh, Hong Kong. And Hong Kong's in the South China Sea. And then we have North Korea, Kim Jong-il, and he's in the Yellow Sea. All these seas are about 1,500 miles, 2,000 miles apart from each other. And if you look at where Hong Kong is, where we want to send some of our naval forces, and you look at where Israel is, where we want to send some naval forces. The only thing separating them is several thousand miles and the Suez Canal. Or you get to drive around basically Africa. So if you shut down the Suez Canal, um, anybody who is in Israel in the Mediterranean Sea, they have to basically drive around Africa to get to Hong Kong. Now, we don't have that many ships in our Navy. We have a pretty big Navy. But you know who else has a big Navy? China has a big Navy. China's been working on their Navy for decades. And if you kind of look at where all of these all of these hotspots are, and we're not even talking about what's going on in Ukraine and in the Black Sea, that's a whole nother thing. If I was a military commander, or if I was one who was trained to think like the enemy, and my job was to undermine the United States and our security and our interests, I would probably be betting a lot of money on this being my one and only chance to take out a U.S. carrier battle group. Because our forces are spread between, well, among three three different major theaters of operation, and all of those theaters of operation are separated by several thousand miles. So if this goes kinetic, and either Russia wants to use hypersonic missiles, or China wants to uh, attack or harass U.S. forces uh, in the South China Sea, or the Yellow Sea, or if, heaven forbid, the Arab nations have the ability or the capability to attack anything in the, in the Mediterranean Sea, we're not going to be able to respond to that. We're going to be in a lot of trouble, especially since we have a lot of stress right now with Egypt and with Turkey and with all of our bases essentially being shut down or you know we're being thrown out of Syria. We're not going to be able to respond to this threat globally. And the global threat that we're talking about is basically Iran, China, and Russia are all pissed off of the United States right now. Iran has influence in uh, Palestine, obviously, and Hamas. Russia has influence in Cuba and Central America, and obviously in, uh, you know, in um, Crimea and in the Black Sea. And China has influence in North Korea, where our allies Japan and South Korea are. We need U.S. naval forces and air power in all of those regions in order to, to project power and to defend them based on the ability to get back up if we need it. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, West Germany in the Cold War when we were sitting on the Fulda Gap and our literal term was dipshits, D-I-P meaning die in place. 
because our sole mission was to basically eat fucking bullets and hold out long enough for, you know, people who had better equipment and, and more forces to show up. Well, there isn't going to be any backup if any of these places go hot. And the worst calculated threat is that all of those forces, or at least two out of three of the forces and two out of three of those regions are going to get attacked and they're going to get attacked with a, a lot of heavy targeted ordnance. And then with this absolutely fucking clueless administration that we have, they're not going to know how to respond to that. Generally, we prevented problems like this by having a strong U.S. State Department, by having trade relations, by having intelligence assets on the ground, whether they were there to, to collect intelligence or they were there to, to subvert or they were there to literally drop off pallets of fucking hundred dollar bills to people. We had a way of mitigating these problems before they turn into unsolvable problems. And this is the first time in the, as far back as I've studied this, Steve, that we don't have a fucking backup plan for any of this shit. And it looks like our enemies are all holding the world flush right now. And they're, they're about ready to just tell us to go fish. And so that on top of this fucking holy war shit that's about to kick off, you better make sure you have your 15 gallons of water, everybody. Fucking listen up. I, you know, I'm going to say this and people could think I'm crazy. That's fine. Because you already know I'm fucking crazy. The, the thing that people discount is that, you know, they're trying to sell a communist system to an entire society that has had some measure of freedom their entire lives. That's not going to go well for them. And they may have some superficial wins up front, but I've used, and I've used this, so for those of you who've listened to me for a while, bear with me because I know you've heard this before, but I really do believe that Israel doing this is going to be their downfall and the elite doing all the actions they're doing right now is going to be their downfall and i i routinely reference the battle of midway because the battle of midway was the turning point in the pacific in world war ii and we didn't even know it for six months we didn't even know it we knew we had achieved a decisive victory but we didn't realize how decisive until subsequent battles. And the, the same is going to happen here because we look at, I know, I know, granted, I, I know what Martin Armstrong thinks. It's going to be six years of pestilence and, and six years of turmoil and civil strife, hama hama. I've heard Martin Armstrong. Yeah, he might have, it might be six years. But the thing that, I want people to realize is they may have some superficial victories, but that doesn't mean they're going to win the war. This is going to be their undoing because at the end of the day, we have way more armed Americans in this country than they could ever disarm on their best day. We have way more combat veterans in this country than they can bring to bear. They're bringing all these green troops in that have never served ever, and they're going to put them in UN uniforms. And you know the UN is just a bunch of thugs and mercenaries that they let loose on civilian populations under the guise of peacekeeping. That's not going to go well here. So despite the doom and gloom and how things look right now, I, I still believe in the American people, and I still believe that there's 
you know, 150, 200 million Americans that are willing to fight for this country when push comes to shove. And I don't think victory, I don't think victories are the cards for them. I think they're going to try and they're going to put their best effort. But Colonel Piper was right. This is a one trick pony. Once they play this card, it's game the fuck on. And once it's game on, you're going to see something new. Trust me, you'll see something new you haven't seen in your lifetime. Because we've never had to fight here. We've always fought somewhere else. It's always somebody else's problem. This is going to be right here in your face. There's going to be any place for you to go. No place to run, no place to hide. Because while we're fighting here, they're going to be trying to build 15-minute cities in Europe and poisoning the shit out of their own populations. And we're going to be here on the ground fighting. And it's going to take us a decade to fix all the things and unwind everything they're doing right now. But I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to leave this place and leave my kids something better than I got. And I will make sure until the day I die that this shit never happens again. And we put measures and controls in place so this kind of shit never happens again. And that includes publicly fucking executing politicians that committed treason. Trust me, you want to send a lightning bolt to the political elite? Execute a couple of those motherfuckers on TV and you will see something new. That's the one thing we haven't done. And the other thing is, we're going to see, and we haven't seen it yet, but we are going to see an event that is going to galvanize the world against the elite. I guarantee you. The reason why I keep talking about the law of unintended consequences is because every single time that the elite, it's like every hundred years, a group of elitist assholes want to take over the world and what happens to them? There's one event that derails every bit of their plans because they get overconfident and their arrogance is their undoing. That's exactly what we're going to see. And when it happens, how it happens, I don't care. But you'll see the world unite in a way you've never seen before. Because here's the bottom line. Too many people are awake and they can't control everybody. If there's, you know, if there's 6 billion people awake, guess what? They're fucked. And the one thing that our adversaries have not counted on is a bunch of pissed off Marines banding together and handing them their ass. Because you're about to see that too. I'm waiting for that. I saw that in... Iraq and in Afghanistan, and I can tell you that there's one thing you don't want to do. You do not want to fuck with combat veterans because we just want to be left alone. We don't want to we don't want to be in the fray. I don't want to be in public life. I have no desire to be in the public space. And the fact that I've had to do this and the fact that we're going to go through this means that when it does happen, I'm not going to have a whole lot of patience. So they, they're, they're not counting on that. So just remember that there's more of us than there are of them. And we are, we are on the higher moral ground, no matter what they say, no matter how they say it. They can call me a fucking terrorist all they want. Come get some. That's all I got to say. And that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> well, I, I don't think anybody will ever attack America from a you know, Red Dawn perspective, the the terrorism asymmetric warfare is the only the only avenue of disruption that they have. 
and that isn't going to last very long, but it's going to be pretty damned hard to round up 25 million people of which I would, I would say if, if I had to be really pessimistic, I would say maybe 5 million of them uh, are, are truly intent on doing harm. But based on just how you evaluate people that are willing to kill and then people that you're able to train that are capable of killing, you're talking about one person in a hundred and one person in a thousand that you can active, actively, effectively train to do harm and turn them on and off at your will. So if you have, let's say, 25 million people and you divide that by a thousand, that's, you know, what, how, how many is that? 250,000 people maybe that we have to worry about that are a threat to America out of the 25 million people that are here. So that's still a lot of people, but they generally, um, they generally expose themselves all at once or at least in clusters. So I'm not worried about America falling, you know, falling into being a province of, of somebody else, but you can rest assured that there's, there's going to be a lot of hardship between now and then. And as far as, um, you know, uh, treason goes, we're uh, Colonel Murray and I are both on the same page that there, there has to be uh, an arrest charges, a trial, a verdict, a sentencing, and then a lawful, uh, you know, punishment of, of whatever means. And then at that point, uh, I, I think that politicians themselves are, are merely just a sock puppets or the, the, the condoms that are pulled over the dicks that are actually screwing things. And we need to figure out who those people are. So as I've always said, it's kind of like the Godfather where they're, they're showing the hand with the strings controlling the marionette. We need to figure out who the hand is and cut those fucking fingers off. Those are the people that are truly um, our enemy. So those are the so I got I got to read this. Sit on boards. Those are the people that, that have the money. Those are the people that control those politicians. I'm assuming that Lindsey Graham just said this on Fox News because it was just focused. It was just published. Again, I don't have a date timestamp on this. So let me preface it with that. But literally, this is the rhetoric that, that I was talking about when we started this era. We're in a religious war. I'm with Israel. Do whatever the hell you have to do to defend yourself. Level the place. That's from one of our senior elected officials. This is exactly the rhetoric I'm talking about, emotionally charged rhetoric to get people sucked into the narrative. Yeah, that's not going to piss off the rest of the Arab world. No. We're in a religious war. I remember I was in the Pentagon when Bush said, we're, we're going to go on a crusade. And I remember everybody in the room stopped going, the fuck did he just say? Did he just say crusade? That, that, how things have changed since 2011. These guys are reckless and stupid. And it's going to show up here. All right, I, I think we've beaten that horse to death. I'm, I'm sure the audience would agree. But the point is, now's the time to be ready and to start acting and using things. Again, 80%, you say it better than I do. You say it, true. 80% readiness 100% of the time. That means you're never going to have your shit completely ready to go. But if you're working on your shit, you're going to be more ready than uh, than if you're not. So you're never, ever going to be 100% prepared for anything. You need to use your aptitude and your motivation to work through things. And the reason why I say 80% effective 100% of the time is because you don't even know what you're going to prepare for. And so if you're at least greater than 50% prepared, meaning you have all your shit squared away, then you're not going to go into a panic mode. People who panic are people that, that don't have any training 
They didn't do anything to get prepared for anything, and then something bad happens, and then they freak out. If you oh, know there's what gonna you have, be, there's going to be a whole host of the fucking population that wants somebody oh, to yeah. come and save them. Well, I'm, and, 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 yeah, so if, if you know what you have and you know you don't have, then and something bad happens, then you can you can deprioritize all those other things that you don't have to worry about. I think the real worry for the people that are totally unprepared, Steve, is all the people that are on these psychosomatic drugs. And when the pharmacies aren't available, um, there's going to be a there's there's going to be a dark time there for about 90 days when we're going to be pe people in our own population are going to be calling themselves out. Oh, yeah, yeah we're going to see it all. So and I want to address the conversations going on in chat about the elections. I don't think there's going to we're not getting there. We're not getting to 24. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you think it. We are not getting to 24. I've been saying that since since the last election. And the reason why I keep saying it, they cannot get through an election without cheating. And too many people see now that the entire election process is completely fraudulent and broken and has been since 2020, even before that. I go all the way back to 2012. We are not getting to 2024. Well, I doubt we'll even get to a primary because they know that they can't put on a good enough show to convince the public that it's real. They, they, they used all their street cred in 2022 when they took that election. And the, the, if the Kerry Lake situation shows you anything, it should be that the Justice Department, the DOJ in total, including the FBI, are completely compromised by communists. The city-state of D.C. is run by communists. There is no pathway, no pathway for us to get to 24 and for anyone with half a brain to believe that the election is real. I, like I said a hundred times, I'll say it again. They took the presidential election in 2020, but that was not the target. The target was the Senate. The grand plan was to stack the Senate with quote-unquote Democrats and then change the Constitution. And once they changed the Constitution, they were going to take away the Second Amendment. That was the game plan. And they weren't successful at that, so then they had to take 22 to get the swing states. But because of the fact they used so much street cred, in 2020, and they had to keep the lie up until 22, they lost all the street card, but more importantly, they lost the narrative in 22. And the Carrie Lake cases, despite the fact that, that the cases were completely dismissed by the fraudulent judges, they showed there's no pathway to fixing or correcting the elections. But they also showed that the legislatures are compromised in the swing states, that the judicial system's compromised, and now, more importantly, the entire election system's compromised. They can't pull it off. They can't convince enough people that it was free and fair. And we don't need to see any more or see any other douchebags to realize that the elections are completely fraudulent. They privatized the elections in 2020. Mark Zuckerberg's $348 million privatized the elections in the swing states. And every swing state took money. 
We no longer have free and fair elections. I don't care what anybody says. That's the that's the ground truth. Like it or not, we are not making it to 24. All right, sorry. I, I had to address that because the conversation was going tangential. So anyway, the the last piece I want to talk to Troop because uh, I know this was something that you had addressed, but I think it's salient to talk through right now, especially with the current situation, is let's talk Suez Canal, let's talk Panama Canal and strategic importance because I think you have a good take on this. Oh, the Suez Canal. So for those of you who don't know, I was, uh, <clears throat> I was, I was, shadow banned and muted kind of silenced on on uh telegram of all places uh because i did a write-up you can find it on steve's channel in osent uh about the suez canal and about the influences of chinese and russian uh military forces that have been invited to central american countries to establish bases which i believe are intelligence and electronic surveillance uh, bases and also bases that are being used for uh, command operations and are partially involved in the, the pipeline of these unauthorized entrants into our country. The Suez Canal, as you know, was turned over to Panama, I believe, what was it, 1978, Steve, by uh, President Carter. So we helped build the Suez yeah. Canal. And for those of you who don't know, the Suez Canal is just basically a big trench that separates North and South America. And without, and the reason why they built the Suez Canal is because it's very expensive to go that uh, all the way around the Horn of South America. And when you Africa. look at, or, Africa. Um, oh, oh, the Suez Canal, I'm sorry, I was the Panama Canal, I'm in the Suez Canal. So, okay, so just roll back everything I said and then ignore it and I'll start over. <laughs> I've been a long day, Steve. I've, uh, I've been in the kind of similar uh, meetings that you have today. But, um, Okay, so the, the Suez Canal. Um, the Suez Canal itself is another, there, there's three major canals. There's a canal that enters into uh, the Black Sea. There's a canal that enters into the Mediterranean Sea, the Suez Canal. And then there's the Panama Canal that separates what is it, the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean where North and South America split. So all three of these canals are important for trade. And they're important because they shave weeks and they shave miles off of commerce. So if you control those canals, you control commerce. It would be just like derailing a train. Now, a couple of years ago, there was a, there was a ship that went cattywampus inside the Suez Canal and it plugged it up for the Evergrande, the Evergrande. And it, it plugged it up for, for like a month. It, it, it may have been only a few weeks, but it, it took, it took a few months to, to get the Suez Canal unconstipated. Um, I've been through the Suez Canal. I was assigned to a 12-man anti-piracy team on a merchant marine ship, and we sailed through the Suez Canal, and I was on that ship for, uh, I think, 30 days, and I, and I was an Army guy. So it's kind of an amazing place because every, every ship in the world, and it doesn't matter if countries are at war or not, you can see ships from two different warring nations that are moored right next to each other. Commerce will continue, and that's one thing that you learn especially if you hang around in those places that is that the, the businessmen, the captains of industry and, and the fleets of ships that they own, they don't give a shit who's at war with whom. And the people on those ships don't give a shit what flag is next to them. They'll go out to uh, drink beer together. You know, if, if they get shore leave, they don't care. 
But these, if, if you control these areas, you control commerce. And a way that you can really harm a nation, especially a nation like the United States, is if you shut down, if you're able to control the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal, you would be able to starve the United States and not just people because we would be okay. We have enough goodies and enough consumerism that your, your everyday Joe, mom, mom and dad that live somewhere, they, they wouldn't be affected by this too much. But who would be affected by this would be Amazon, Walmart, Target, uh, uh, grocery chains, uh, most of your clothing chains, any any business that you find in a mall, because all of those businesses get all of their products from abroad, not just China, but but mainly Asian regions. And if you stem the flow of commerce, you stem the flow of televisions and clothing and iPhones and the sparkly things that you can put on your iPhones and every other damn thing that you see. And it doesn't take very long when you have a, a net zero budget and you're only making three to 5% profit in a tough economy and you have payroll to make. It doesn't take very long to screw up a port or shut down a canal before you start going broke or before your vendors start going broke or before you just can't pay your, your corporate paper bonds and you stop getting enough money to continue. And the primary focus of any business is going concern. That means that you have to stay in business in perpetuity, right? You have to stay in business forever. And you can't do that if you're not getting any products to sell to people. You're not getting any revenue streams. And all of a sudden, all your best friends turn into your worst enemies. So I don't know who would... I don't know who would attack the Suez Canal because that would be bad for everybody. But I could see in a holy war type of situation where uh, Egypt and Israel go to war with each other and the Suez Canal just becomes a, an, an impassable, dangerous place. I could, I could totally see that. I, I think that um, it's more about control than any kind of a disruption in the, in the canal because, look, they, you don't want to burn the bridge you're standing on, but you do want to control the bridge so that you can control the flow of who's going across it. And why this is important is as things develop on a more strategic level and you're seeing more and more countries fall into the flames of war, you're going to see sea lines of communication be vitally important, especially sea lines of communication in the Pacific and into Europe. And the more we're stretched thin with especially hot spots within specific parts of the world, it's going to limit our ability. And if those sea lines of communication are disrupted, we're not going to be able to move forces anywhere, if we, even if we wanted to, either there or back, if there's a contingency here. That's why we're talking about it. Because this bigger kill box that I've been talking about for probably months now is this is the culmination point for that, for them to try and consolidate power. And you, you're going to see over the next several weeks escalation on both the ground, escalation in the rhetoric from both sides. You're already starting to see it. I'm sure if you went out to TikTok right now, you probably see 100 videos about infidels and holy war. All those, all those videos are about to explode on the Internet. Cue the vitriol and hate. Yeah, it's, it's coming. And the more that our politicians and our leadership feed into that, the more the people that aren't discerning are going to get wrapped up in that. The other thing that you can do for your community right now is be the voice of reason. 
be that person that says, take a step back from this. This is not a holy war. This is not a war we want to fight. These people, especially the innocents on the other side of the fence, they're not our enemy. They're not mostly most of the people that are going to be affected by this are the people without resources that can't get out. That's the people that are going to be most affected. All the combatants, all of the belligerents, those that group is going to be there in any conflict. But once it hits our shores, once it hits your community, being the voice of reason, having empathy is going to be the one thing that separates us from everybody else. But more importantly, it's going to be the peace that helps build bridges at a critical moment. And that's what we want to be focused on right now is keeping people out of the emotional state and in the logical state, because that will keep people both aware situationally as well as alive when things go sideways. So you want to be situationally aware everywhere you go now. You want to think ahead about getting to and from wherever you're going. You want to think through, if I get stuck here, what's my exit strategy and what's my way home? Think through all of that. Be situationally aware of who's in the room with you. And I'll use it for instance, because this happened a few years ago to my kid. And my kids thought I was crazy for years. But I, I after I saw a lot of the child trafficking and saw how it was done and what they did with the kids on the other side, I drilled into my kids' heads that be situationally aware, learn, know how to defend yourself, have an exit strategy, and leverage the resources around you to get out of key situations before they become critical. And my kid was at Trader Joe's in a very affluent part of Seattle. And a Russian, a group of Russian guys was following my kid around the store. And my kid had enough situational awareness to say, okay, this is bad. I'm being surveilled. I need to get out of the store. And one of the things that was um, key to leaving the store was should, should I look and see where these, these guys are at? Should I talk to the manager? Should I, um, should I just leave? And I've always uh, drilled into my kid's head, use the resources around you. So my kid was smart enough to grab the manager and say, I need to walk out. I need you to look like you're walking me out with something heavy. Grab a, grab a box. that's not heavy. And just, and just walk me out and keep an eye on these guys. And why, by the way, I called 911, but they're not going to be here for five or 10 minutes. So that's too long. I think I should go now. And after all of that, my kid said to me, Dad, it wasn't that I was being watched. It wasn't that I was outnumbered. It was that I didn't know what to do. And it took me a few minutes to realize that it was in this situation that I understood everything you said to me. Fortunately, my kid paid attention to what I said about driving and, and drove to like six different destinations before going home to make sure the same car wasn't or multiple cars weren't following. And it turned out it turned out great. But that situational awareness, that that questioning, that second sense of saying, this doesn't sound right, this doesn't feel right, and paying attention to it, e.g., trust your intuition and trust your gut, save my kid's life. And how many other kids fell victim to that because they weren't paying attention? Be situationally aware. I could tell you everywhere I go, I know who's around me and what they're doing and who they are. 
I may not know their their names, but I know if they're if they're there on purpose, if they're if they're surveilling the room. I see all of that. Be situationally aware because things will develop quickly, and when they do, you can either be a victim, or you can be somebody on the positive side helping out. I want to uh, chime in on something. So with all of this, there's these videos that you're talking about, the cue the vitriol and hate. Uh, right now, there's one that uh, uh, Patriot Berserker just posted, or American Patriot just posted, uh, pro-Palestine pro protesters at uh, UW-Madison chant glory to the murderers. And there's just a bunch of asshole students out there waving the Palestinian flags. Look, our neighbors are white, black, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Indian, Croatian, German. We are America. Every single fiber in that flag is cast from a different country and a different culture. And we need to remember that as Americans. And so I have a, a couple of Jewish and a couple of Muslim uh, associates that I work with. And my first question to both of them in different conversations this week is, hey, man, how are you feeling? Are you okay? It doesn't matter what they say. What matters is that they know you're listening and that you care. Because that is what's going to get us through this. There's always a time for killing. It's easy to break stuff. It's hard to fix things. If you have neighbors or you have friends or you have people in your family that you know are from uh, different regions of the world or specifically uh, you know, from, from Palestine or from Israel or from anywhere in the region, they're going to be sensitive to this. Be sensitive to them. And just let them know. We're Americans. We watch out for ourselves. And if you know if they go off on some kind of hateful vitriol about wanting to wipe Palestine or or what you know Gaza Strip or Israeli you know uh, Israel off the map or whatever, then you know to back away slowly. But should give them the benefit of the of the doubt. But we're all in America because we all want to pursue the American dream. This is the land of liberty and this is the land of truth and justice. And we have to conduct ourselves like patriots like God-fearing, compassionate patriots. Because that's that's just literally why we are the gem of the world, because we represent liberty and freedom. And we welcome people who want to be part of that community, people who are willing to integrate into our society as active participants in that republic. So don't get bitter. Do a buddy check, whether they're people that you work with or they're your neighbors or your friends or your family. Be sensitive to this. Because this is this is a big deal, and I'm just I'm just gonna leave it leave it right there. Hey, it's a good place to good place to close. If there's no other questions, we'll wrap this one up. I uh, I can't stress enough, folks, that now's the time to be prepared. It's gonna hit our shores soon. I'm gonna say within 30 days if this keeps escalating the way that it's going, and you know. Be, if you're going to be on public transportation, be aware of who's around you on public transportation. And I and my advice: stay off the subways. Subways are high high traffic and high target high value targets. All of that. I, and you know, one last piece. Remember that I've seen that in times of great adversity, some of the some of the bravest things, man. I've seen I, I've seen um, 
I've seen, uh, how do I say this? Like I've seen Iraqis do things um, to protect kids in the middle of, you know, in the middle of gunfights that it was just miraculous. And we have to, we're going to be forced in several instances to remind ourselves of our humanity. And that's going to be the hardest part of all of this is to remember your humanity when all this kicks off, especially when you see somebody injured or hurt that you care about. It's going to be really easy to want revenge. But remember, at the end of the day, the thing that's going to help us win the fight is unity. And that conversation and that that moment's going to, it's going to happen. It's really going to happen. And you're going to be able to cross the aisle. I know I had that opportunity in, in Iraq a couple of times and seized the opportunity. And it was with shakes that were not supportive of our of our movement and just sitting down and actively listening to them move the ball and move the needle. And we're going to have, you're probably going to have that opportunity, whether or not you, you know, whether or not you, you will or won't, I think everybody will have that opportunity. Um, yeah, I talked to, uh, to answer the question for Granite in the chat, I talked uh, to Michael Yon today. We traded voicemails today. He was, he was in the jungle yesterday. He's out of the jungle today. I was busy today. We're going to try and do a show on Monday. And then he's, he wants me to talk to some, uh, some other guy, um, Corey Mills. I don't know who that is. It's, I guess it's a congressman. Wants me to have him on the show to talk about the situation. A lot developing right now, a lot going on. I'm going to have... On the docket right now, I've still got to do Daniel Esterlin, which I haven't been able to pin him down. He's been busy. I've been busy. Michael Yawn, I'm going to be on Gray Matters on Friday. I have, um, I may drag you along for that too, True, just so you know. Um, I have uh, Sharita Starr. I still got to get on the show because I want her to talk through um, some of the things that she's been talking about with lunar cycles and and the astrological stuff of this because a lot of this stuff plays in there. And then um, I'm gonna. I've got a couple of calls into Doug McGregor to try and get him on the show. I know Dr. Merritt. I haven't had a chance to reach out to Dr. Merritt. There's only so much bandwidth I have during the day to do this, but I, I'll reach out to Dr. Merritt as soon as I possibly can. Let me get Michael Yawn on the show because that guy's hard to pin down, and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to get that guy on the show. So. Uh, I haven't talked to Pete Chambers. He's he's busy and I'm busy and uh, we'll we'll cross paths. It, here's the thing about Pete Chambers. He's he's got 17 or 20 different people pulling him in in at least a dozen different directions all the time. So I'm very mindful of his time and I'm also very mindful of his schedule. Plus, you know, he um his his travel schedule is so demanding that to get him for a half an hour is, is really, you know, moving mountains. So I'll, you know, I've reached out to him a few times. I'll reach out to him again here in another week or so. I know he's working on a, a documentary. There's a, there's a crew that's working on a documentary for him. So uh, I know he's tied up with that. And I think, I, th I want to say he said the end of October is when he was going to be free, but yeah, I'll work on it. Now, I'm not interviewing Jeff Prather. He's a fucking shill. He's a he's D former DEA. Just do a cursory amount of research on the guy. For Christ's sake, Team America. I dealt with those guys with Joe Oldman. 
And those Team America guys are a bunch of loon bags. They showed up talking about we're going to block all these entry points and we're going to block the freeways and we're going to start a real riot. Yeah, no, no thanks. Those guys are all Jeff Prather, Team America. No thanks. If I want CIA and spooks around, I'll just call I'll just call the CIA directly and say I need some spooks around. No thanks. Um, anyway, this is what happens when I start reading the chat. I start getting <laughs> absorbed into that. Anyway, Troop, any other final thoughts for the for the audience before we break? No bullshit, guys. Get water tomorrow. Get water. Go to the store. If you don't have the five gallon bucket, the five gallon jugs uh, that you've seen on my videos, just get the one gallon or the two and a half gallon uh, arrowhead ones. Water's usually like a, a buck a gallon, but you should have a minimum of 15 gallons of water per person in large pet in your home. And I have the white containers, by the way, but just so to, to back troop up, I have the white containers and uh, it's actually some you gave me, by the way. Thanks for that. So I, as far as jungle on this, one last thing I'm going to answer on this is, uh, boy, the shills are out tonight. There's been like five of them. That's awesome. Um, Derek Johnson, that guy will, he will out himself. He, uh, I, this is all I'm going to say about it. him like others. He says less in, in one hour than most people say their entire lifetimes. And I don't believe anything that's coming out of his mouth. And I'm not going to waste time ripping the guy apart because, look, you know, I, if I'm going to show up to a gunfight, I'm going to show up with guns, not with knives. I, I don't want to disarm somebody who's already disarmed. This is no point in that. So I'll let him blow himself up, let him do his, his own thing because it's going to happen. And I'm going to focus on what's important, and that's getting people ready for, you know, what's ahead of us. And the last thing I'll say is that war is a marathon. It is not a sprint. There is no quick path to victory. There's only the slog, small victories, until you get the big victory. And that's everybody needs to burn that shit into their soul. Because if you think that this is going to be a one-and-done deal, you're missing the point of what these people have been planning for 20 or 30 years. Spend time being prepared and getting prepared now because this is going to be a long fight and it's going to suck. But once we're through this, once we're on the other side, this country will be a hell of a lot better than it is right now. Because what's going to happen between now and the time that we retake our country is we're going to build an entire society of rock hard people that aren't going to put up with any shit whatsoever. There won't be any political correctness. There won't be any fucking pronouns. There won't be any retardation around sexuality or sexual, you know, identity or any of that bullshit. All that's going to wash off. Cause you know what happens when people are starving, they don't give a fuck about your pronouns and they don't give a shit about what gender you are or what construct you want to call yourself as a gender. So, all that's going to wash off, but we have to go through this to remind everybody in this country who we are and what we are. Remember who you are. Remember what we are. Don't forget that. God bless everyone. One team, one fight.